you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn in them with me uh, once again to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. The end is in sight for those of you who have been here for a while. Uh, for those of you who are just visiting, we have been working our way through the book of Galatians. This is our 14th week in the book, and uh, we have one more week to go. It's been a great study, I think, I hope you would agree, Uh, a great study where Paul has reminded us, the church, uh, of the gospel. The Apostle Paul, through much of this letter written to the first century churches of Galatia, has pressed home his main theme that justification, being made right with God, comes about through Christ alone. By faith alone. Now as we get to the end of this letter, he is giving the church some final admonitions. And at first it might seem that these things are are disconnected, are unrelated to all that he has said before, like he has switched gears, but that's actually not the case. These all flow from, and they're all tied to, what it looks like to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to live a gospel life, right? So we've asked the question, what does the gospel look like in our lives? And Paul has highlighted several things in these final portions of this letter. Well, today he's doing it through the image of sowing and reaping. Maybe you drove in here today, if you came around this side of the building, you saw the cherry blossoms starting to come. Spring is around the corner, praise the Lord. We've gotten some glimpses of it this past week, and and, uh, perhaps now some of you have your eyes on planting your favorite flowers or favorite vegetables, or at least getting the planting ready. We know a little bit about sowing and reaping, but these first century Galatians knew even more because this imagery of planting and harvesting in a society that was largely agricultural is is a bit richer for them even than it is for us. Even in these urban centers, they they were more in tune with the source of their food than, than we are as we walk the aisles of Safeway. And so Paul uses this template, which is not foreign for us, but it was vivid for them, of sowing and reaping. He wants to challenge the church concerning the choices that they're going to make in thought, word, and deed. And so listen carefully as I read Galatians chapter 6. We're going to begin today at verse 6. And just read down through verse 10. If you would, stand for the reading of God's Word. Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Listen as I read. Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. 
For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and be seated. You and I live in a world of short-sighted thinking. Probably think of numerous examples of this, both personal experience as well as cultural signs. One example that came to my mind is, a, is a, one of those anti-cigarette smoking commercials that I saw last week. The latest one I saw was some 60-some-year-old woman with, with half of her face and throat that had been surgically removed, and she was hooked up to a ventilator, and she was barely able to get out the statement, I wish I'd never seen a cigarette. Short-sighted thinking. Perhaps we think, I'll get away with it. Maybe, maybe that's true for others, but that's not true for me. I won't face those consequences. Or we think that we'll sow one thing only to reap something entirely different, but the natural world just doesn't work like that, does it? You don't plant tulip bulbs and get roses. You don't plant carrot seeds and get asparagus. And the spiritual world doesn't work that way either. And so Paul makes this statement in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. It's a simple, straightforward principle. But somehow, so easily in our lives, it gets lost. It gets lost through short-sightedness, maybe through forgetfulness at times, often through just downright lies. Right? This is why the devil himself is called the father of lies, because he baits us into believing that we'll somehow dodge consequences, or, or that life is found in this way that actually leads to death. And so that's why Paul says to the churches, do not be deceived, Right, the Galatians have already had a bit of a problem with this in regards to the gospel. Remember back in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul can hardly believe that they had been, the word he used is bewitched, deceived, tricked into forgetting all that he had taught them about who Jesus was and what Jesus came to do. Now, Paul drives another warning home. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. The Greek word that is translated there as mocked can literally be translated to turn up one's nose. 
with that kind of imagery. You see, in, in, our, in our arrogance, we think he, that is God, doesn't, doesn't care what we do. He doesn't notice. His word doesn't apply to me. And Paul says, don't be a fool. Don't be deceived. The results of your sowing will reveal themselves. And so that's what we find in this passage. A passage about sowing and reaping. A call to sow the right kind of seed. And so I want to unpack this for the next few minutes to seek to understand how this principle works itself out in our spirit-led, spirit-filled lives. Three applications guide us this morning. Three applications of sowing and reaping. And the first one is this. And this one's a little bit odd because it's kind of directed at me as your pastor, indirectly directed at you sitting there as the church. The first application is this. Whoever sows the word reaps a living. Whoever sows the word reaps a living. Verse 6. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, while Paul doesn't introduce the imagery of sowing and reaping until verse 7 in this passage, it's not too much of a stretch to include verse 6 in that template, in that imagery of sowing and reaping. Paul, for whatever reason, here in verse 6, is underscoring a biblical principle that is found elsewhere in the Bible. Namely, that God has designed that if possible, Teachers of the word within the church ought to be free to pursue that work full time. Now this is not a a new thought. This notion began way back in Jesus' life, Luke 10. Even before that, we could trace it to the Old Testament, but Let's just stick with the new Luke 10, 7. Jesus said when he sent out the 72 and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. So then Paul said to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service, there's the Old Testament coming into the new, get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And he instructed Timothy, the young pastor in 1 Timothy 5, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. And so this principle is reflected in our book of church order and our Presbyterian polity within our denomination in the PCA, and the the phrase that they use there as they instruct congregations uh, to care for their ministers, the phrase they use is to leave their ministers free from worldly care in order that their focus might be on this, 
It might be on prayer. In other words, brothers and sisters of Ascension, you and I are in a partnership. Perhaps you've wondered about the why of this arrangement. You give to the Lord and to his work. You share your good things, and it is my responsibility, it is my privilege to invest myself in this, in the ministry of the word, in prayer, and in your lives in order that I, too, might reap a living. You know, at this time in in history, in the first century, when Paul is writing this letter, full-time ministers supported by the church, they were rare. I mean, even today, all across this nation, all across the globe, even within our denomination, there are congregations that can't support a minister full-time. I remember when my father moved here back in the early 90s, he went to a church up north of here that had never sustained a minister full-time, and so for a time, for a season, he worked as a rural postman after being a full-time minister growing up in my growing up years in New Jersey. Many men do that. And so, as I think about this verse, verse 6, as I think about whoever sows the word reaps a living, all I can say is, what a privilege you've given me. All I can say is thank you. Thank you for the gift of being able to labor in teaching and preaching and discipleship as my sole occupation and calling. Whoever sows the word reaps a living. That's just verse 6. And that's not the heart of the passage. That all comes next. So let's move on to the second application of this passage of these verses, and it's this. Whoever sows to the flesh reaps corruption. Now all I've done is restated the words of Paul there. Whoever sows to the flesh reaps corruption. We might be able to rephrase it. If you plant selfishness, you're going to grow weeds. As humans, brothers and sisters, we desire things. Among them, food, comfort, security, sexual pleasure. All good things created by God for our enjoyment, provided we enjoy them according to his word, according to his design. And yet, what does sin do? Sin turns everything on, upside down, on top of its head. As Chris spoke about earlier, it makes good things, ultimate things, idolatrous things in our lives. And our love for food turns into gluttony. And our desire for comfort can become an idolatry. Our longing for security turns into autonomy and control and sexual pleasure is recklessly and at times secretly pursued outside of marriage. You know as well as I do, this, this is our inheritance from Adam. 
This is what Paul spoke of in chapter five, verse 24, when he talked about passions and desires. It's these things, remember that imagery, it's these things that must remain nailed to the cross of Christ. We gotta drive the nails in deeper to keep them there our whole lives. But how easily we lose sight how easily we believe the lie that we can, we can dabble just a little bit without reaping what we sow. This is the lie of youth sometimes, right? That phrase, oh, he's just, or she's just sowing their, their wild oats, as if, if youth or the college years were somehow the acceptable time for us to lose sight of God's design. Paul says, no, you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption, you feed your desires, you're going to grow weeds. Now Paul, when he speaks about this, he is speaking, I think, primarily in terms of eternal consequences. But the implications of our sowing can also catch up to us in, catch up to us in this life, can't they? How many of us are dealing with the consequences of foolish decisions that we have made in our youth. Reaping what we've sowed, absolutely experiencing the grace and forgiveness of Christ and the gospel, but still reaping the consequences of our foolishness. We should also note, as we think about this point, that at times, the wicked prosper in this life in their wickedness, don't they? I mean, that was the cry of the psalmist. What the heck is going on? The righteous enduring all of this and the wicked seemingly at ease. Lord, do you see it? The Lord sees it. And make no mistake, the harvest is ultimately the same. And so Paul reminds the church here to not believe the lie that you won't reap what you'll sow. Listen to these words to the church of Rome in Romans chapter 2. Paul says to the church at Rome, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Now, of course, Paul is not saying that salvation is by works. Hopefully, if you've been here for the study of Galatians, you know that we are not saved by works of the law. But he is saying that the fruit of one's life will in some way reflect that profession. Garbage in, garbage out. As one of Job's friends stated in Job 4, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Whoever sows to the flesh reaps corruption. So what does this look like? We, we, we understand the eternal consequences of just living a life of willful disregard of God. Yes, you are going to reap a life without God in eternity. What about the application for us even in the temporal sphere? Well, I love this helpful definition from 
a fellow pastor who's now gone to be with Jesus, John Stott, he says this. Listen to this definition of of what it looks like. To sow to the flesh, he says, is to pander to it, to cuddle it and stroke it instead of crucifying it. The seeds we sow are largely our thoughts and our deeds. Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, to to nurse a grievance, to entertain an impure fantasy, or wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company whose influence we know that we cannot resist, every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk which strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing to the flesh. There's a lot to think about and to be challenged by in that quote. What are, the, what are the subtle areas in our lives where we, we indulge the flesh? Just, just that extra click or that, or that little corner cut. No big deal. That neglected responsibility. Sowing to the flesh. Believing that life is found there and giving the devil a foothold in our lives. Whoever sows to the flesh reaps corruption. Well, that's the bad news. But in contrast to that warning, Paul gives a wonderful encouragement. And that's where we'll end our time together this morning with the third application of this passage, whoever sows to the Spirit reaps a harvest of good. Whoever sows to the Spirit reaps a harvest of good. This is another way of saying what Paul already said to the church in verses 16 and 25 when he told the Galatians to walk by the Spirit. We're just continuing to to flesh out this gospel living. It's parallel with what Paul tells the Romans in Romans 8, 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And so what does this look like? Well, it looks like cultivating the soil of our lives with his word, with what you're doing right now in order that good fruit must, might blossom from our lives. It looks like re, redefining, if necessary, reining in our thoughts and our urges, keeping them nailed to the cross, drawing lines in the sand for faithfulness, prioritizing well the things of the Lord. I just finished a good little book that I read called The, the Wisdom Principle. It was just published this year. And it takes that, that, uh, that food pyramid that we grew up learning in the middle school. You know, I don't remember what was on the bottom, the grains maybe, and then, you know, at the top is the sweets. And it takes that pyramid and it, it says there's, there's wisdom from God's word. Where is wisdom found? Wisdom is found foundationally in God's word. And in the church of Jesus, 
and in all that God has made. And in good books and those who have gone before us in beauty, music, and art. And what's at the very top of the pyramid, the wisdom pyramid according to this book? What's the sugary substance that we ought to spend very little time investing in? It's your screen. It's the internet. And yet in this information age, how easily we turn that pyramid on its head And instead of spending hours in God's Word each week, we spend hours giving ourselves a sore thumb as we scroll. Colossians 3.1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Sowing to the Spirit looks like walking in the good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2. Sowing to the Spirit keeps our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross and became obedient to death. You see, sowing to the Spirit allows the love of Christ to control us, that we might do good, especially to our brothers and sisters as part of our witness to the watching world. You know as well as I do, people of flesh that you are like me, that this is hard, that life is busy, that people are messy, that it's hard to sustain. As we spoke about last week, bearing burdens and and keeping guard, keeping watch over one another in some way as the church of Jesus Christ is tiring work, which is why Paul says, let us not grow weary. Whoever sows to the Spirit wants to reap a harvest of good is going to need to develop patience. Because as we also talked about last week, people don't change overnight. One of the things I've learned about ministry and and a lot of years in ministry now is that I often don't get to see the fruit. I read this week of a story of a man named Luke Short who was a 17th century man converted under the ministry of the Puritan John Flavel. But here's the thing. He was 103 when the Spirit converted him through the seeds of a sermon that he had heard from this Gospel minister. But when was that sermon preached? To Luke Short, now 103, it was preached to him when he was 18 years old. Patience, endurance, eyes fixed on Jesus, hearts saturated by the Word of God. That is how we make it to the end. That is how we become, as Psalm 1 says, trees planted firmly by streams of water who are able to grow firm and strong and bear much fruit. So prompted James 
to write this, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We're here this morning because that coming of the Lord that is at hand is not accompanied with dread for us, is it? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because God has sown the life of Jesus and it has reaped our salvation. Yes, bent passions and desires, that was our inheritance from the first Adam. But the second Adam has come. The Lord Jesus has come. And now he gives us his righteous self, his life. And in that life, in that connection to the vine that is Jesus, we have these words of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Brothers and sisters, we as the church, we can sow to the Spirit in order that we might reap a harvest of good because of the life that Jesus has given. We can endure till the end because He has endured the curse for us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word, for this powerful imagery of sowing and reaping. Father, we as your people, those who desire to be holy, those who be, desire to be like our Savior, we, we don't want to coddle the flesh. We don't want to believe the lie that we won't reap the consequences and the corruption of sowing to the flesh, but we want to be those who saturated by your word, planted firmly by the life of Jesus and the living waters of that stream will bear much fruit, a harvest of good in the lives of those around us, in the lives of our community. Oh Father, we once again plead for your grace and your strength to live out this gospel life. Oh, Father, make it so for the glory of your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.